The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. How's the sound? It's okay? Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I don't live so nearby, but I still uh, feel like this is my home temple, so I'm, I'm always happy to, to come. So for the last uh, few months, I've been studying um, a text called the Terigata, which is uh, a collection of 73 poems of awakening by the Buddha's first female disciples. And it's also um, the very first anthology of women's literature in the world. And the only canonical text of a major religion uh, attributed to women. So the Teres are the elder nuns, or just uh, wise women, and gata means song or poem. And so what I'd like to explore with you tonight is who were these Teres? Um, and I think uh, one of the, the messages for me uh, of this text taken as a whole is the incredible diversity of all these different women who all attained Nibbana. They all reached complete enlightenment. So <clears throat> we don't know if they're historical figures or if they're literary characters. Some of them um, we find elsewhere in the Pali Canon, and so that's a pretty good indication that maybe these were uh, indeed historical figures. But since these poems were memorized and then recited for about 300 years before they got written down, it's likely that some literary characters crept into the, to the historical ones, and I, I tend to think that this maybe they're a mixture of the two. And so this text, uh, in a way, functions as um, a celebration with many different, different human faces of the different paths to liberation and the different experiences of liberation. So one of, for me, the central messages of this text taken as a whole is that uh, Nibbana, or complete release, is possible. It's possible in his lifetime. It's possible for women as well as men. And it's possible for all sorts of folks. Um, we have in these, in these uh, poems examples of uh, laywomen and monastics attaining nibbana, old women, young women, wealthy, poor, uh, different classes of society, so when the, when the Buddha taught, it was a Brahmanical uh, society where he was teaching. Um, and in this culture, the Vedic culture, uh, there were different castes with the Brahmins, the priests, being the, the highest level, and then warriors, and then uh, merchants and farmers, and then servants and, and slaves. And uh, in this text, we have poems from all of those different castes, including slaves, they became arhats. Um, we have a text from women of very different walks of life, uh, from 
queens to prostitutes. Um, and then we have texts for uh, those practitioners who attained enlightenment very quickly, others who took a long lifetime. Some of them were obviously gifted in meditation, but then there were others who weren't gifted at all. They had wild minds, and so they couldn't concentrate. They were, they were all over the place. Anybody familiar with that? <laughs> Some of them came from very uh, nice families, and others came from not-so-nice families. Um, and some of them were lost in despair, in grief, and even in sanity. So it's, it's pretty amazing, all these examples. Um, so the path is different depending on the practitioner and her background, but the fruit for all of them is the same, and the fruit for all of us is the same. So three of these nuns first became uh, enlightened as laywomen, so I'd like to start with their poems, and I'll, I'll read them to you. I have three different translations with me, um, so I'll, I'll read from some, some of these uh, different ones. Uh, the first is Ubiri, and she um, was in a forest wailing because she had just lost her daughter. Her daughter's name was Jiva, which means living. So maybe there's some of us in this room who have lost a child. And the Buddha came along and heard her screaming, and he figured out how to help her. So in this poem, the first verse is spoken by the Buddha, and then uh, the last two by Ubiri. He says, Mother, you cry out, O Jiva in the wood. Understand yourself, Ubiri. Eighty-four thousand daughters, all with the name Jiva, have been burned in this funeral fire. Which of these do you grieve for? And Ubiri says, Truly he has plucked out my dart, hard to see, nestling in my heart, which grief for my daughter he has thrust away for me, overcome by grief. Today I have my dart plucked out. I am without hunger, quenched. I go to the Buddha sage, the doctrine, and the order as a refuge. It's interesting to, to think about what do you think the Buddha might have meant by 84,000 daughters, all with the name Jiva, have been burned on this funeral fire. I'll leave that as an open question. Next um, is a poem by uh, Kisa Gotami, and she had an amazing uh, story. Uh, some the commentary says that this attributes the poem to Patachara, but in the in the canonical version of the text, uh, it's Kisagotami. And um, she was uh, pregnant, and as the custom was at the time, going home to her 
parents' village to have her child. And her husband and her uh, first child were walking with her. And within the space of 24 hours, um, first her husband dies. A storm comes up. He tries to build her a hut, and he gets bitten by a snake, and he dies. And um, so she gives birth that night and finds uh, his body the next day. And then she goes on with her trip, and she has to cross a big river. And so first she takes her newborn baby to the other side and uh, leaves the newborn on the bank. And then her little boy um, was standing on the other bank. She's coming halfway back across the river again to to get the, the little boy, and she sees an eagle swoop down, grab the baby, and fly off with it, and she screams. And her son thinks that he's, she's uh, trying to call him and telling him to, to come over. So he goes into the river, and he gets swept away, and he dies. So then she uh, continues her trip all by herself, gets to her home village, and finds out that The night before, her parents' house had caught on fire, and both of her parents and her brother had died, and they were burning on a funeral pyre. And with that, she completely cracked. She lost it, and she lost it for years. She went insane. So here's uh, part of her poem. Uh, The first verse is by Kisa Gotami, and then the Buddha... um, speaks to her, and then uh, she finishes the last three verses. Going along, about to bring forth, I saw my husband dead. Having given birth on the path, I had not yet arrived at my own house. Two sons dead, and a husband dead upon the path for miserable me. Mother and father and brother were burning upon one pyre. And the Buddha says to her, Miserable woman, with family annihilated, you have suffered immeasurable pain. You have shed tears for many thousands of births. And then Kisa Gotami says, I dwelt in the middle of the cemetery, then the flesh of my sons was caused to be eaten. With my family destroyed, despised by all, with my husband dead, I attained the death free. I have developed the noble eightfold way leading to the death free. I have realized quenching. I have looked at the doctrine as a mirror. I have my dart cut out, my burden laid down. I have done that which was to be done. The Terry Kisagotami, with mind completely released, has said this. So here we, we have an example of a woman who went completely insane and was able to let go of her incredible suffering and to completely awaken. Um, next, I'll read you the poem of Sujata. She was also a laywoman when she became enlightened. 
And you'll see she was uh, from a wealthy family um, and had been delighting in sensual pleasures. She says, ornamented, well-dressed, wearing a garland, smeared with sandalwood paste, covered with all my ornaments, attended by a crowd of slave women, taking food and drink, food hard and soft, in no small quantity, going out from the house, I betook myself to the pleasure garden. Having delighted there, having played, coming back to my own house, I saw a vihara, that's a monastery. I entered the Anjana wood at Saketa. I saw the light of the world. I paid homage to him and sat down. In pity, with one, the one with vision taught me the doctrine. And hearing the great seer, I completely pierced the truth. In that very place, I attained the stainless doctrine, the state of the death-free. Then knowing the true doctrine, I went forth into the houseless state. I have attained the three knowledges. The Buddha's teaching was not in vain. Very different story. She went straight from pleasure to hearing the Dharma to being enlightened. So, um, she's uh, an example of uh, a lay woman, a young woman. And now um, I'll read you the poem of Kema. So, the, the Buddha had uh, two of his nuns that he considered to be. Um, examples for everyone else. One was Kema. She was foremost in wisdom. Um, and like several of the poems in the Tirigata, Kema's poem is a dialogue with Mara. Mara, as you may know, is uh, the personification of all of the forces antagonistic to awakening. Um, and as a young nun, she completely destroys him. So, let's see. Came up. Uh, this is from Rukun. Okay. So, Mara says, Come on, Kema. Both of us are young, and you are beautiful. Let's enjoy each other. It will be like the music of a symphony. Kema says, I'm disgusted by this body. It's foul and diseased. It torments me. Your desire for sex means nothing to me. Pleasures of the senses are swords and stakes. The elements of mind and body are a chopping block for them. What you call delight is not delight for me. Everywhere, the love of pleasure is destroyed. The great dark is torn apart. And death, you too, are destroyed. Fools who don't know things as they really are revere the mansions of the moon and tend the fire in the wood, thinking this is purity. But for myself, I honor the enlightened one, the best of all, and practicing his teaching, am completely freed from suffering. 
So it's interesting, even as a, as a young, beautiful woman, she um, had no attachment or infatuation with her body at all. Uh, then we have uh, Dhamma, who uh, was a very old woman when she uh, became enlightened. Um, and she writes, uh, Wandering about for alms, but weak, leaning on a stick, with limbs shaking, I fell to the ground right there, and seeing the danger in the body, my heart was freed. So a lot of times, um, awakening, there's a, there's a trigger, like falling down and bumping your head or something. Um, but what has happened uh, to, for the trigger to, to work is that all these um, conditions have been put in place over a lifetime of practice in many cases. So that's, that's what our job is, is putting in place these conditions so that when the when the trigger comes, we're ready. Um, in a Sujata's poem where she was delighting in the pleasure garden, we heard an example of a wealthy woman becoming enlightened. Uh, and now I'll read you a poem from a very, very poor woman. She was, she was homeless, truly homeless. Not, not the Buddhist type of homeless, but the homeless type of homeless. Her name is Chanda. I was in a bad way, a widow, no children, no friends, no relations to give me food and clothes. I was a beggar with a bowl and stick and wandered house to house in the heat and cold for seven years. But I met a nun who had food and drink, and I went up to her and said, take me into the homeless life. She was Patachara. Out of pity, she guided me in leaving home, encouraged me, and urged me to the highest goal. I took her advice. It wasn't wasted. I have the three knowledges. There are no obsessions in my mind. So it may be that that Chanda started out uh, without the purest of motivations, as she was uh, cold and hungry and desperate, and the life of a, of a nun looked a lot better than, than her life. But uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing that um, she was able to go all the way, even, even starting out with such unfortunate circumstances. And her teacher, Patachara, was a great, great teacher who actually brought hundreds of nuns uh, to full awakening. So now the, uh, the queen and, and the prostitute. There's, there are se- several prostitutes in this collection and uh, courtesans and uh, royalty as well. So now um, let me read to you the poem by the Buddha's foster mother. You know, his, his mother Maya died um, after he was born and then he was raised by her sister uh, Pajapati. Um, so she was a queen she says homage to you Buddha best of all creatures who set me and many others free from pain all pain is understood 
The cause, the craving is dried up. The noble eightfold way unfolds. I have reached the state where everything stops. I have been mother, son, father, brother, grandmother. Knowing nothing of the truth, I journeyed on. But I have seen the Blessed One. This is my last body, and I will not go from birth to birth again. Look at all the disciples together, their energy, their sincere effort. This is homage to the Buddhas. Maya gave birth to Gotama for the sake of us all. She has driven back the pain of the sick and the dying. I like the, the next to last verse. Look at the disciples all together, their energy, their sincere effort. This is homage to the Buddhas. Now we get a, a truly great poem. This may, this may be the, the most um, famous one in terms of poetry. Um, of course, they weren't written in English, um, <laughs> and and the the different translations are very different. But I've uh, I've picked Susan Murcotts for this one. So this is Ambapali, and she was a very very beautiful courtesan. She was a lay follower of the Buddha to begin with, and uh, she made tons of money in her business as a courtesan, and gave him uh, groves and um, was a great uh, lay donor. And then she. She ordained, and so here she is um, with it's sort of an ode to impermanence. She says, My hair was black and curly, the color of bees. Now that I am old, it is like the hemp of trees. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. Fragrant as a scented oak, I wore flowers in my hair. Now, because of old age, it smells like rabbit fur. This is the teaching of the one who speaks truth. It was thick as a grove, and I parted it with comb and pin. Now, because of old age, it is thin, very thin. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. And it goes on and on. I'll skip a little bit. And then she says... um, My breasts were beautiful, high, close together, and round. Now, like empty water bags, they hang down. (laughs) This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My thighs were beautiful, like an elephant's trunk. Now, because of old age, they are like bamboo stalks. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My feet were beautiful, delicate, as if filled with cotton. Now, because of old age, they are cracked and rotten. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. This is how my body was. Now it is dilapidated, the place of pain, an old house with the plaster falling off. Okay. 
Now I'll give you uh, two examples from the, the, the highest caste, Brahmins, uh, a woman from a Brahmin family, and then a slave. Um, so it's important to know that uh, in the Vedic tradition, um, women were kind of nobodies. Uh, they weren't allowed to participate in the sacrifices. Um, their husbands had to do that for them, and they weren't even allowed to read the sacred scriptures. Uh, so, um, it's very interesting. This first poem is by Rohini, who is a young uh, woman from a Brahmin family, and her father obviously is a, a Brahmin priest, and she becomes enlightened and then teaches him. So that's pretty amazing for a, not only a, a, a woman to teach a man, but a girl to teach her father. And uh, then the one I'll read after that is even more amazing because it's by Puna, who uh, not only is a woman, but of slave origin. And she sets the Brahmin straight. Okay, we're back to this book now. Let's see, where do I put this? Okay. So I'm, I'm not reading the whole thing because it's long, but um, Rohini, uh, Rohini's father says to her, Truly, for our sake, lady, you were born in our family, Rohini. You have faith in the Buddha and the doctrine and keen reverence for the order. You indeed comprehend this unsurpassed field of merit. These ascetics will receive our gift, too. For among them, an extensive sacrifice will be set up for us. And she says to her father, If you are afraid of pain, if pain is unpleasant for you, go to the venerable Buddha as a refuge to the doctrine and to the order. Undertake the rules of virtuous conduct. That will be to your advantage. And her father uh, does that. He says, I go to the Venerable Buddha as a refuge, to the doctrine and to the order. I undertake the rules of virtuous conduct. That will be to my advantage. Formerly, I was a kinsman of Brahma. Now I am truly a Brahmin. I possess the triple knowledge and am versed in sacred lore and have complete mastery of knowledge, and I am washed clean. Okay. So here's Puna, the slave girl. Um, so you know the, the Brahmins um, washed away their sins by going in the, in the river and, and washing. Um, and so she challenges him on this. She starts out saying... I carried water, even when it was cold. I still went down into the water, afraid of the sticks of my mistresses, afraid of their words and their anger. But what are you afraid of, Brahman, when you go into the water, your body shivering as you feel the biting cold? The Brahman answers, Even though you know me, Punika, you still ask why I am doing this skillful act, blocking the fruits of the evil already done. Anyone who does an evil act, whether old or young, is freed from the fruits of that evil act by washing off in water. 
Funa says, who told you that? Like a know-nothing speaking to a know-nothing. That one is freed from the fruit of evil acts by washing off in water? Is it that frogs and turtles will all go to heaven? And so will water monotles and, and crocodiles and anything that lives in water? Anyway, it, it goes on. But. Uh, then we have <clears throat> um, Terry's who ordained because they wanted to escape from a, an unhappy home life. And sometimes they were celebrating being well-released and delighting in their uh, freedom. So first we have a short poem by Mutta. And she says, I am well-released, properly released by my release from the three crooked things, from the mortar, the pestle, and my crooked husband. (laughs) Maybe some of us here have been released from a crooked spouse, you know. (laughs) I am released from birth and death. Everything which leads to renewed existence has been rooted out. Uh, and then um, Upalavana, who was uh, the other of the, of the great nun praised by the Buddha to, to emulate, and she was considered uh, the foremost in psychic powers. And even the great Upalavana came from a very um, unhappy home situation, um, as you will see. She uh, and her daughter were both co-wives of the same husband. That sounds like suffering to me. So. We were mother and daughter, but we were wives of the same man. I was horrified. My hair stood on end. And suddenly the pleasures of the senses were vile and stinking to me. I loathed them and all the troubles they caused, where mother and daughter were wives together. Then pleasure was danger, and renunciation was solid ground. So at Rajagaha, I left home to be homeless. Now I have entered the six realms of sacred knowledge. I know that I have lived before. The eye of heaven has grown clear. My hearing is pure, and I know the minds of others. I have great magic powers and have annihilated all the obsessions of the mind. The Buddhist teaching has been done. So now I'll read you two. um, One who is a great meditator and one who is not such a great meditator. (laughs) So Vadamatu, she doesn't even have a name. Uh, her son is Vadu, um, Vada, and uh, Mata, Matu is mother, so she's uh, Vada's mother. And this is a dialogue with her son, and she's teaching him the Dharma. She says, May you not have Vada craving for the world at any time. Child, do not share in pain again and again. The sages dwell happily indeed, Vada, free from lust, with doubts cut off, 
become cool, having attained self-taming, being without asavas, obsessions. Vada, devote yourself to the way practiced by those seers for the attainment of insight, for the putting of an end to pain. And he sees in his mother how far she has gone. And he says, Confident indeed you speak this matter to me, mother. Now indeed I think craving is not found in you, mother. And she affirms this. Whatever constituent elements, Vada, are low, high, or middle, no craving, even minute, even of minute size, for them is found in me. All my asavas have been annihilated as I meditate, vigilant. I have obtained the three knowledges. I have done the Buddhist teaching. And then we get to Sama. Different story. She was one of these with the, with the wild mind for a long, long time. Twenty-five years have passed since I went forth, since, since she ordained. I am not aware of having obtained peace of mind at any time. Without peace of mind, my mind being unsubmissive, then I reached a state of religious excitement, remembering the teaching of the conqueror, delighting in vigilance because of many painful objects, I have obtained the annihilation of craving. I have done the Buddhist teaching. Today is the seventh day since my craving was dried up. So if you have a wild mind for 25 years, there's still hope. And then one that I find very, very touching. This is Siha. So she's, um, she's desperate about her practice. She's, she's really discouraged. Obsessed by sensuality, I never got to the origin but was agitated, my mind beyond control. I dreamed of a great happiness. I was passionate but had no peace. Pale and thin, I wandered seven years, unhappy day and night. Then I took a rope into the forest and thought I'd rather hang than go back to that narrow life. I tied a strong noose to the branch of a tree and put it round my neck. Just then, my heart was set free. So there's another one of these great triggers. Um, and then I'll close with one is, is perhaps my um, my favorite, uh, which is the poem of Patachara, the one who's such a great teacher. Um, you'll see that she she too is is uh, frustrated. But then she gets very concentrated, and her mindfulness gets exceedingly sharp. And it's it's sort of like you know when you're you're on retreat and you and you finally start to see things very clearly and very purely. Furrowing fields with plows, sowing seeds in the ground, taking care of wives and children, young men find wealth. So why have I not experienced freedom? <laughs> 
when I am virtuous and I do what the teacher taught, when I am not lazy and I am calm. While washing my feet, I made the water useful in another way. By concentrating on it, moving from the higher ground down, then I held back my mind as one would do with a thoroughbred horse. And I took a lamp and went into the hut. First I looked at the bed, then I sat on the couch. I used a needle to pull out the lamp's wick. Just as the lamp went out, my mind was free. Thank you for listening. We have a couple minutes for anything you'd like to talk about. You, have you had an awakening experience? Not nirvana, but I mean, <laughs> along the way. I was just reading Gil's, one of his awakening experiences, and so I'm curious about yours. I'd like to um, avoid your question a little bit, but uh, still try to answer it in a way that I think is meaningful, which is that um, we've all had awakening experiences. And there's actually a name for these. These are uh, temporary uh, awakenings. So when uh, the hindrances are not active, uh, the mind can begin to settle and see clearly. And, you know, if you have had just a second or two of calm and clarity during your meditation, that's an awakening experience. And it's really worth noticing it this is part of the causes and conditions that we put in place that make it so that, you know, when the noose is around the neck or, uh, you know, we fall down, uh, we can wake up. The more we notice these moments of awakening, the more um, they are able to come again. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way of uh, cultivating our practice, and I really encourage you um, to notice them and celebrate them and uh, it, will, it will take you a long ways. I just had a mind-blowing one two months ago where all perception changed and I could see clearly and was connected to future, past, everything. And uh, so I was just curious if, if you had had one of those Somebody said that people don't like to talk about it because it's bragging, but for me, or like it can be seen as bragging, but it's more like your birth story or a birth, one of your children's births, or just sharing that is, um, is I like hearing them. And um, well, I don't okay, know. Okay, if you want Community. something personal, I'll, I'll, I'll share something. And it was the birth of my first child. Um, I had uh, been. Uh, practicing very intensively uh, before that. Um, And 
I wasn't, I, I knew that when the contractions were happening, this wasn't because, the pain wasn't because something was wrong, it's because something was right and this beautiful being was going to come. And so uh, instead of turning away from the pain or trying to take drugs or, you know, I, I just had, I had a natural childbirth at home. I turned toward it and I swear to God, it was not painful. <laughs> the pain just became a strong sensation. And it was the most beautiful experience of my life because I was just a mammal and I was 100%. There was no, I wasn't thinking about anything else. I wasn't distracted. I was just doing it. <laughs> and <laughs> it was great. Tell us another Well, it's nine o'clock. <laughs> Anybody else like to tell a story? <laughs> I wonder why the last one was your Hang on, the mic. I wondered wh- why the last one was your favorite poem. Oh, I think it's because of that. Um, you know, she she was seeing the impermanence of the water going downhill, and then she held her mind back like you would hold back a thoroughbred horse. And then she got very focused and and uh, mindful and concentrated, and just the simplicity of, I went into my hut, you know, and I sat on the bed, and I you know and put out the wick it just. The, the simplicity of it, I think it really captures um, that taste of freedom. Thank you very much. <laughs>